The first reading may be found on page 1113 of the Pew Bibles and is taken from Acts, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. The people in Berea may have been of more noble character than the Thessalonians, but it still seems that Paul held the church in Thessalonica very close to his heart, and uh, he even wrote two letters to them which have survived to this day in the Bible, And uh, Jane is going to read a little bit from the first letter, um, which just gives us a a few extra pictures of what the Thessalonian Christians were like. Second reading is taken from um, 1 Thessalonians, and it can be found on page 1186 in your Pew Bibles. 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. I want to talk today about vivid memories. And uh, I can hardly talk about vivid memories without telling you about a vivid memory of mine. Um, There we are. Uh, My daughter's wedding, if you're uh, familiar with the church in Blackheath, that's uh, St. Martin's there. And if you look over by the church door, you can even see the bride and her father, if you look very closely. It was uh, a wonderful day which we're still um, reliving, Nikki and I, and uh, hopefully the rest of the family too, uh, in our memories. Um, and uh, it was remarkable in many ways, remarkable that the weather was fine in a, in a very stormy week that we had. We had one little golden oasis day of fine weather, and that was the wedding day. So we felt very blessed by that. And the memories of it, I know, will live on in our minds. And I wonder if, if you've had the sort of summer where... Um, There are things that you've done, places you've been, which will live in your mind and in your heart for a long time to come. Um, Vivid memories. Now, it was a bit like that for for Paul um, uh, when he went to Thessalonica, uh, as we heard in both those Bible readings. He, He was only there, amazingly, for about three weeks. And yet, some wonderful, remarkable things happened It was a place that had no Christians in it at all. And no one had ever even heard of Jesus. And suddenly, during those three weeks, it became full of people whose lives were being changed through their faith in Christ. I wonder if you could uh, conceivably imagine Wanish or even Guildford having no Christians in it at all, And then some preacher turns up and does a a three-week mission and suddenly there are hundreds of people 
thousands even in relative terms, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. The problem with our story, though, is in Acts chapter 17, um, is that it ended with a riot. And Paul and Silas have to make a quick getaway. And they go off to Berea, but soon after uh, that, Paul goes to Athens uh, and then on to Corinth. And it's uh, almost certainly from Corinth, where Paul spent two years, that he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. Um, that we heard read in our second lesson. And uh, in particular, of course, he would have taken with him the memories of those amazing three weeks in Thessalonica. Um, and while he's uh, there in Corinth, he, he begins not unnaturally to worry that their new faith might have wilted without anyone there to help them uh, keep going, to keep on growing in their faith. Somebody once said to me that Um, The Christian life is like riding a bicycle. Unless you keep going forward, you fall off. Um, Which is quite an interesting slant on on what the Christian faith is like. Now, in verse 2 of Acts chapter 17, uh, sorry, of the 1 Thessalonians passage, which you'll find, I think it was on page 1187 in the Church Bibles, Paul said this, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's tremendously excited still about what God had done in that city perhaps a year back and by the wonderful way that many of the people had responded in faith to Christ. But I'm in danger of jumping ahead of myself, so um, let me just fill in where we've got to in the story. Over the last few weeks, we've been following Paul on his second missionary journey. Um, And uh, he's been uh, going, first of all, he went through, uh, let's just see if we've got a map here. Um, Yeah, there we are. Uh, He's been coming up from the east through what it says is Asia. I think the word minor has got crossed off. Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's been revisiting some of the churches he'd founded in that area on his first journey. But then he senses that God is calling him to something different, or rather somewhere different. Um, And uh, after a while, he ends up in Troas. Um, And uh, from there, he takes a boat uh, across into Europe for the first time, uh, across the Aegean Sea up to Philippi. And we heard about Philippi last week. Um, uh, Again, an amazing story of God's wonderful work in that place. Um, uh, And, uh, of course, it ended with a riot, like they all seem to. Now, Paul's policy on these occasions seems to be, his strategy, if you like, was to go, first of all, to the Jewish population. So he might go to a synagogue or to a meeting place, And he will tell the people that he sees there uh, that Jesus is the fulfilment of all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. Some of the people respond and their lives are wonderfully changed. But others, usually a large number, start to feel that all they believed about God and the Old Testament law is now under threat and they begin to get very angry. 
So Paul moves on and speaks to the local Greek-speaking, non-Jewish population. And they respond in great numbers, with lots of enthusiasm um, uh, to, to what they hear, to the message about Christ. But this, their enthusiasm, their response, only serves to enrage the Jews even more. Uh, not only are they threatened by what Paul has been preaching, but now they feel jealous that the Gentiles are following Christ as, uh, and following what Paul's saying. And nearly always there's a riot. Paul and his companions are attacked, sometimes stoned, and driven out of the town. And of course that's what happened in Thessalonica and in Berea as it did in Philippi. The amazing thing to me is that Paul seems completely undeterred by all this uh, ill treatment and soon sets off to the next town or the next city uh, of any size. Um, The Uh, great reforming Christian Calvin once referred to Paul's unconquerable mental courage and indefatigable endurance. It's hard not to agree with Calvin. So what's Thessalonica like? What sort of a place is it? Well, it was the capital of one of the four Roman districts within Macedonia, uh, which you can see up the top there. Um, And they built a large and spacious harbour and some fine roads linking it to um, other cities. Uh, And these things naturally had the effect of increasing the city's commercial uh, importance. And because of that, it was multiracial, very mixed in culture, and open to all kinds of different religious beliefs. And uh, I've never been there, but apparently that's what it looks like now. You can actually still see some of the ruins Those are the ruins of the Forum, the Roman Forum in the centre of the city, sadly destroyed by an earthquake in the year 620 AD. Um, So, um, there we are. Paul has now arrived in Thessalonica. Um, And uh, as we've seen, um, let's have a quick look at the map again. Um, As we've seen, what happens when they get there follows much the same Uh, pattern as has occurred in his other visits to the leading towns. But there are two things that are particularly noteworthy about what happened in Thessalonica and also in Berea. And I think that these are things that we should perhaps uh, be focusing on, uh, uh, that they might make more of an impact on our lives. And the first was, can be told, you can see it in the way that Paul preached. And the second was all to do with the effect that his preaching and their faith had on their lives. So first of all, I'd like to have a look at the way Paul preached. And uh, we can see this particularly in the Acts reading back on page 1113, um, especially in the opening verses, verses 1 to 4. Now in these verses, there are a number of verbs used to describe the way that Paul went about what he did. And I think these verbs are, are very interesting, very have a a, a real pointer to um, the way that Paul uh, preached and maybe the way that we should uh, listen. Uh, Verse 2, it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And then it goes on, he explained and proved that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And the result of all that was that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. It all reminds me of Jesus himself on the walk to Emmaus. I'm sure you know that story. 
He was walking along with these two demoralized disciples, Cleopas and his friend, and Luke tells us that uh, this is what Jesus did. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Paul reasoned, he explained, he proved, and they were persuaded. Is there a lesson here for us? I expect you know that many Christians have sometimes been accused of leaving their minds behind when they come to faith, quite happily believing the unbelievable without troubling to investigate whether or not it's true. Uh, Here's something that Richard Dawkins wrote a little while ago in the Independent newspaper. I doubt that religion can survive deep understanding. The shallows are its natural habitat, full of cranks and fundamentalists. I think that the Bible as literature should be a compulsory part of the national curriculum. You can't understand English literature and culture without it. But insofar as theology studies the nature of the divine, it will earn the right to be taken seriously when it provides the slightest, smallest smidgen of a reason for believing in the existence of the divine. Meanwhile, we should devote as much time to studying serious theology as we devote to studying serious fairies and serious unicorns. Now, you may think that's uh, fairly typical Richard Dawkins stuff. Um, Theology, of course, is all about thinking, is all about us thinking about what God is like. But I sometimes wonder if for many churchgoers, the understanding of their faith that they have is no different now from how it was when they were children. And we can see from the way that Paul spoke that he wanted to appeal to people's minds as well as to their hearts. And I'm sure we noticed that you noticed the, the noble Bereans. <clears throat> they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They examined it to see if it was true. I wonder if it's our ambition to emulate them and check out what the Bible says. Is it really true? What does it mean for our lives in the 21st century in secularist Britain? One of the best places, I think, for doing that, to checking it out whether it's true or not, is through our home group system here in the church. Wonderful places to do that, where we can not only grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Christian faith, but also we can receive support from others and encouragement from those others in the group. So there, Paul's preaching. The second thing I wanted to look at was uh, how, can, uh, how can we allow the Christian message to have a greater effect on our lives? We can find this back in, in the letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 3. This is what Paul wrote. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those three qualities that Paul comments on are are three things that were obviously very close to Paul's heart. Faith, love and hope. And you'll find those three qualities linked in nearly every one of Paul's letters. 
Um, and they are the hallmark, in Paul's eyes, of every true believer. So, for example, I'm sure you're all familiar with the great passage about love in 1 Corinthians 13, um, that passage that features in many a wedding. You remember how it ends. And now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. We had that passage read in my daughter's wedding, in Sarah's wedding. Love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, And of course, at, at weddings, we think mainly about love. But here in this 1 Thessalonians passage, Paul draws our attention to faith and hope as well. And what's so interesting is that Paul describes the effect that becoming Christians had made in the lives of his beloved Thessalonian converts. And for each of those qualities, uh, the love, the hope, and the faith, each one demands effort. And that's because they represent a turning outwards, away from the focus on ourselves. Um, uh, And instead, faith turns us to Jesus. So we start thinking about more about him and less about ourselves. We trust in what he has done and not in how good we are or how good a performance as a Christian we're putting on. We trust in his promises, not in our feelings. We trust in his love and not in our circumstances. We think more about him and less about ourselves. Faith turns us towards Jesus. Love, on the other hand, turns us towards others. We care for people in need. We look out for them. We long to serve them and to make a real difference in their lives. And hope turns us towards the future. That future day when Jesus will return and there'll be no distance from him and no difficulty in following him. So faith, hope and love represent a turning outwards of the believer towards Jesus, towards others, towards the future. And that's why these things are the hallmark of true faith because that turning outwards is the opposite of our natural way. In that sense, it's supernatural. You see, by nature, we are all turned in on ourselves. It's that instinct that we seem to have that measures the quality of a photo by how we look in it. And I've been looking at a lot of photos in the last couple of weeks, so I know all about that. (laughs) And it's the instinct that measures the value of a party by how much I enjoyed it. In my cricketing days, I would measure the quality of a cricket match by how many runs I scored, not by how the team got on. And by nature, we're all like that. In fact, the natural human heart is never satisfied, no matter how much popularity we achieve or money or success we attain. It's never enough. We always want more. But when God gets to work in us, all this gets reversed. And we begin to see the changes in our actions, in our work, in our relationships, and in our perseverance, our endurance. Perhaps the most remarkable change that Paul highlights in the Thessalonians comes in that letter in verse 9. 
Although you have been forgiven, I would forgive you if you had never noticed it when we read it. The believers from hundreds of miles around were talking about something that had changed in the uh, lives of the Thessalonian Christians. They had turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They had turned from idols. We don't really listen to phrases like that, do we? Because we reckon that idol worship doesn't happen anymore and so it doesn't apply to us. Uh, and uh, so we don't realise uh, that giving up idols in those days would have been unheard of in Paul's world. Rather like asking people today to give up their car or their mobile phone or their laptop or iPad. Tom Wright, the uh, theologian, has written this. The gods of Greek and Roman paganism were everywhere in Thessalonica. If you were going to plant a tree, you would pray to the relevant god. If you were going on a business trip, a quick visit to the appropriate shrine was in order. If you or your son or daughter was getting married, then serious and costly worship of the relevant deity was expected. You could never do too much by way of placating them, making sure you got them on your side. Tom Wright's words. And the Thessalonian Christians had stopped doing all of that. They were changed people. That was a proof that they had a new faith, a new focus. Jesus Christ was at the heart of their lives. And what about us? Are we demonstrating changed lives? Someone once said, if we were arrested and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? May I suggest that the sort of evidence that God is looking for comes in three flavours. Faith, love and hope. Is your faith still growing? Faith in the one who died and rose again for you. Do you need to work on your faith to find ways of deepening your understanding and stretching your mind? And is your love for others, reflected more and more in the, in the sacrificial, uh, reflecting more and more the sacrificial love that Jesus showed when he died on the cross. Is our love for others like that? And are you full of hope for the future, that sure and certain hope that we are safe in his hands, whatever may happen to us? And so as we sit, let us pray. Our loving Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story of Paul in, in Thessalonica and Berea and for the lessons that we can learn from it. We pray that in the weeks ahead you would deepen and strengthen our faith, that you would move us in love to serve others in the way that you're calling us to do and that you'd fill us with hope that you are in control and that our future is safe in your hands. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.